0: So, Callie, this morning I was saying to Ben when yeah. Futures sold off, it's like, well, this is how the market works. Everybody, when the when the wage data came out last Friday, yeah. everybody got bullish, like me mm-hmm. like too. And then we ran into the CPI it, report because it was going to be, and then and yeah. then we buy the room and sell the news. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's Taylor's as old as time, right. right?
0: But the news is not exactly getting sold, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We're hanging in there. There's just, there's just, Ben and I were talking about this this week. What's, What's the next my negative, Callie? It's got to be earnings. Yeah. That's it.
1: For me, I think it's earnings, but I actually think we're being too pessimistic about it. So Ooh. it's all about less bad versus yeah. bad okay. and I'm with you. expectations. And
2: let's cut let's cut all the nonsense. Okay. Sam Bankman-Free has a substack. <laughs> I yeah, I subscribed. What? Did you did, well, it's, right? only, it's only $29.99 a month? So he tweeted out a link to his substack and He's like doing. He's doing content. He's in the content game. Yeah.
0: So I read. I read like it for like five minutes. I was like, "What am I doing?" I'm I read like, the whole I, thing. I, I, don't, I stopped it for five minutes. I, don't, I couldn't. I couldn't take it. You're better than me. This is the. This is the most delusional person.
2: Yeah, it's delusion uh, of all time. It's delusion. But you can't. You can't get into somebody's brain, but I think he's delusional. He. Yeah. He just spent two weeks in a in a Bahamian prison. Like that like, would draw. That would make anybody lose. Anybody normal would lose. Their I'm mind. not.
0: I'm not dying on this hill. But I think he believes what he's saying.
2: Like, yeah, I think his no, head, he his,
0: there's, there's a lot of screws loose, and he convinced himself that he's
2: telling the truth. He's doing funny stuff like being like, all right, I'm estimating the value of this at $100 billion, But just for argument's sake, let's say it's $50 billion. Right. <laughs> so it's not, uh, he's not like, he's using numbers, but he's making up numbers still. And then the main point he's trying to make is that nothing was stolen. The whole thing is nuts. Uh, The Binance guy deliberately targeted me. Yes, yes. A lot uh, of You know what would be funny if he keeps the Substack going, but he just starts doing, like, (laughs) posts about other shit? Like, he drops a Fed post.
1: What if he
0: starts doing TikToks?
2: No, no, no. Just hear me out. I would not
1: be shocked at all. Imagine
2: he's, like, the first person ever to be on trial while simultaneously doing, like, econ and market commentary on Substack. (laughs) It would be pretty legendary shit. If he was just like a content dude.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Once you go to jail, do you – or if he goes to jail, does he – do you have Do you have internet access? Could he still do sub from jail?
2: Uh, he's not going to go to jail for two years. I'm just asking. This is going to be yeah. – this is going to This is going to go it's on great. longer than OJ Simpson. This they is have be, internet in jail. What's that?
3: They have internet in jail.
2: I guess it makes How sense. How do you know, e-mails.
4: Duncan? I feel like there's a story behind this. <laughs>
2: I don't think no they comment. let you publish a blog though. I think you can send – I think you can send emails. I don't think you can have like a website. From jail, I don't think so because uh, wouldn't the other guy, Shkreli, have been doing that if you could? Probably, Mm, mm -hmm. although he was no, but he was was pre-substack, he was pre-medium. He was kicked off of Twitter. I I don't think they let you like post to social media from prison. I think you're very limited in how you could use the internet. So, let's explain. You could find a wife, like, you could find a girlfriend.
0: I was just talking to Callie about this. Let's explain to the audience why, because somebody asked Duncan. How come the cold open is not on YouTube? Well, the reason why the cold open is not on YouTube is because the boys are setting up right now. There is no cameras. This is why this is the setup time. This is true. Right? John is literally messing with the mics as we speak.
2: You're breaking the fourth, you're breaking the fourth wall. Broken.
1: As somebody who's a fan of the Bachelor and bachelorette, bachelorette, I love it when they break the fourth wall. Yeah,
2: what's wrong with the wall? Yeah. Well, like if we did a con- so real. if we did a confessional, like after taping, you were like. <laughs> When Josh started talking about Sam Bankman <laughs> Freed, I was like, "Oh no, is this a crypto podcast?" This that's the fourth happen.
1: wall. Oh this needs to happen. Yeah.
2: That that would break the fourth the wall. Oh, like, ap-
1: uh, the Compound Friends after.
0: Well, Howard started Howard Stern started this with with uh, the wrap up show, and then Andy Cohen uh, took that idea. What was it? What's it called? The, what's it? W- the After Hours with the with the Housewives.
1: Oh. Sh-
0: um, I mean, that's a big show.
1: Yeah, I'm not a housewives watcher. Okay. I'll be honest. Wife, I like the Bachelor, and Bachelorette. More of I'm a more of out. a Fed watcher. I, I am I'm a fed, fed watcher.
0: That's um, enough drama for me. I was post show. Oh, d- did you? Did you have a decap idea, Duncan? Um, Watch what happens
2: live.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, yes.
4: Yeah. Right. Yes. Is
2: that it? Is yeah. that it? That's I, it? Thank you, Nicole. I'm a fan. Did you talk to Robin about the thing? Yeah. Is she in? So I
0: I literally had no time to read your email yesterday. Okay. I didn't think about it until this morning. She goes, so that email, I don't know.
2: She's. No- I need to know right yeah. now. Is she a no?
0: I don't, I don't know. She said, I don't know. I said, I, we'll talk about it later. And so, I I mean, her but, first reaction was not bullish.
2: All right. So then we got to do a, a different option. Why do you have to know right now? Because this is, everything is waiting on, everything is waiting on the landing page. We need a photo for the landing page. All right.
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, so, right, I'll tell you later. That's right. Watch what happens live. Nicole, you're absolutely right. I got it.
2: Yeah. We, I I think I think we I think we've done enough on Housewives.
0: Well, it's also below deck and Southern Charm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So every one of their shows, there's another yeah. show to talk about the show you Literally, just watched. Yes.
0: And they bring in guests to talk about it.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we're doing this. This is gonna happen right. today, Imagine right?
0: Duncan, imagine Duncan was our Auntie Cohen. And he just <laughs> he like if he had a hosted up. hosted a wrap-up show.
2: I don't – no offense to Duncan. I don't really think that anybody – I don't think that would be very popular. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Thank know, you, Duncan. I, love, I don't know if there's I enough. L- I love the spirit. I don't know if there's enough there.
0: All right. So uh, stocks are uh, energy up 2% today, leading sector. International stocks. Callie, you on this? International stocks?
1: I am, Yeah. Blowing my mind.
0: I mean, monster performance over the last couple of months.
1: I mean, I think that's the perfect example of you know people getting too bearish and too pessimistic yeah. and then taking yeah. a step back and piling back oh. in.
0: I don't know what's happening. Like, why are they going up so much? Obviously, a lot of it is the U.S. dollar.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. um,
0: but the performance, I know it's just short term, but over the last... Let's just look at three months, for example. It's like dramatic. Mm-hmm. So, SPY.
1: I think last quarter was the best performance for international stocks XUS uh relative to the S&P since like 2009 or something yeah. something ridiculous it's 25 it's that.
0: 25% versus 11 mm-hmm. so i looked at Huge the gap. i looked at the ratio chart and it's above it's like and that's a bit 5% above its 200 moving average for over a decade mm-hmm. like that's how persistent the downtrend has been
2: yeah. or, all it took was for the dollar to come down 10% after rallying for like two years straight yeah
0: yeah but the other thing is like even the local currency markets i think the uk is close to an all-time high, DAX too. So I don't know because everything just everything that we see. I don't know anything about the also, European
2: also, economy, but everything
0: we see seems so bearish.
2: Also, mm-hmm. developed market equities were positively correlated with developed market bonds, like they both rallied. At, uh, uh, you, you got you got back interest rates in international sovereigns, and then you got stock prices rising at the same time. We had the opposite phenomenon last year, mm-hmm. like when we had big. Rallies and rates, our stocks fell. They didn't have that in Europe. And yeah. that, that's it. To me, that's, that's interesting and probably not what a lot of people would have expected. Yeah. Like you would have thought, oh, the, bond is gonna, the yield is going to rip. What, is that going to be good or bad for the German stock market because it was horrible for the United States market? And it wasn't. Can't stop thinking about that boon. <laughs> I know. That's all you think about.
1: Well, it's, it's also interesting, too. So, I mean, obviously, we saw the guilt panic back in September. Mm. And everything kind of fell out of correlation then. And then it feels like September turned to October, and then you know investors changed their what minds. What was the they guilt point, The
2: thirty-year. With year. the British Prime Minister.
1: Yeah, the British PM Liz Truss. We had Mark Blensin
0: to explain that to us. That seems like a year ago. I know. That was when <laughs> was that? September. September. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. That and just September. came. That just came and went. Yeah, At it's almost like us, we ripped the bandaid day. off a little yeah. bit, and, and we were like, okay, well that that sucked. Oh, and <laughs> another
0: thing, European banks, EUFN still going vertical. Mm-hmm. Let's see. if, I'm sure Credit Suisse is not bouncing. Eh, Credit Suisse bounced a little bit. Deutsche Bank went from 750 to 13 bucks since the end of September. The moves are
1: just indiscriminate buying.
0: The moves are strong. The right, moves are strong. All
2: right, I think we're good to go. Let's do Want to this.
0: click me up? All right. Flaps coming up. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance. Episode what? It is. the like I found my friends. Episode six.
2: Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Today's show is brought to you by Composer. To learn more about Composer, visit composer.trade. You've probably heard us talk about this before. The way that I describe Composer is if you if you ever did any backtesting, right, and you want to like bring it to life with a strategy, you could do that at Composer. You could build your own what they call symphonies. So you could build rules, rules-based. And in today's environment where things are more muddy than ever, it is important to have rules. So you're not just hopping from one foot to the next, like I do every podcast. So today I want to talk for just for a second about one of their symphonies because they have their own strategies. You don't, you can build your own if you want, but they've got something called crude reality, what they call the smarter oil playbook. So Duncan, did you know that if you wanted to buy like spot oil, like if you want to actually track the price of crude oil, you can't do it. I did not know. What you can do, you could buy ETFs, but there's all sorts of Shenanigans that goes on with the roll yield and and the future, so you're not actually getting exposure to the price. So here's how this symphony works: if oil, if crude oil is actually going up, and I'm talking about an ETF, if it's actually going up, then you could have the entire portfolio in crude oil, the 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 ETF that represents crude oil. If it's not, you can hedge it. You can go into other things. So. There are all sorts of symphonies for all sorts of investor risk tolerances. I suggest if you are interested in learning more about these different symphonies and how Composer can implement them for you, you go to composer.trade to learn more.
2: Episode 76. Big show. New friend on the show today. You have never been here before. I I have never
1: been here, and I am nerding out right now. This is so cool. Uh,
2: We are so excited to have you. We've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. You're here on the perfect day. I mean, CPI day. CPI day. Uh, Let's give everybody the official introduction. We wrote this for you. I hope you like it. Shall I read it to you? Stare into Josh's eyes as he reads this. Well, no, I have to make it it very awkward. I have to read off the screen. (laughs) Callie, you are an investment analyst for Etoro. A multi-asset social investment platform with 20 million plus users. Give that a yeah, round of applause. That's a lot of users. All right. uh, prior to eToro, Callie was a senior investment strategist at Ally and a senior research analyst at LPL Financial. Welcome to the show, Callie Cox.
1: What's up? So good to be here.
2: What? Wait, let's go. Let's start from the the let's start from Ally. Is that that is that the old G E capital? Or is it the old uh, General Motors? GM, yeah. GM, that's right. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah, Okay, so what, what, was like to, what was that like to be the senior investment strategist at essentially the old credit corp that GM used to own? What was that gig like?
1: Well, you know, I joined there in 2020. So I wasn't there in like the old GM to yeah, Ally yeah, yeah. days. So it was much, much further along than that. But um, let me tell you, like working with retail investors, that was the first job I had working at a brokerage that – you know, catered to mainly retail investors. Is that what that it, was?
2: It was a broker dealer.
1: Yeah, it's a broker dealer. It still is. Ally invest. So are you
2: slinging stocks at, at people? No,
1: no, 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 okay. no, no. I'm doing what I do. It's essentially what I do at Etoro is a content focused job. I am a strategist. Um, I run our models. You know, I look at portfolios and think about portfolio strategy, but I think of a way to communicate it to the retail investor, the individual investor who's saying like, okay, well I'm seeing this on CNBC, what matters for me? And that's basically what I did at Ally too. I I helped build out their, we call it the point of view strategy, which is a content strategy around developing these market insights and then just thinking of really innovative, engaging ways to bring them to customers and infusing them throughout the business. 20
2: million users is really big.
1: It's, it's pretty big. We're pretty how big did in e- Europe.
2: So how did eToro get to 20 million users? Tell us, tell us what we don't know about the etoro story.
1: So fun fact, Etoro is 15 years old. They started in t- 2007. I had to do the math in my head really quick. 2007, Yoni and Ronan started it Israel. back in yeah, Tel Aviv, yeah. yep. And they just they just started growing and you know, we really we really caught fire back in Europe. Um, especially in the past few years. Um, and I, I couldn't tell you how. Why was it so popular it in did.
2: Europe? A lot of cream sauces in your portfolios or what? <laughs> cigarettes? What do they like about? A
1: lot well, of baked beans. Um, I, I really think it was just our focus on that particular market and the fact that we offer just so many products. And okay. that's e big thing. It's like we're, we're just going to give you every single product you want. Um, we're not quite there in the U.S. yet. Um, the U.S. is a little – I mean, we're a little bit younger, so we're slowly building out um, our broker-dealer business over here. But you know, in Europe, um, Yoni is super, super passionate about putting everything on the platform: NFTs, crypto, CFDs, stocks, bonds, options, commodities, currencies, everything. And
2: wait, what's a CFT? CFD. Yeah, it's a certificate of financial trauma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, know. honestly, you're not it's too far off. No, what uh, is it? It's customer uh, Alicia. What? I can't remember what it stands for, but it's essentially it's I, essentially I want, like can, a, I, want, I want
0: the yeah, Can, can, I, can I, want the I have a million yeah. dollars?
2: Worth? No, I'm I'm don't bullish. Google it. You don't have to Google. We don't. I'm well, bullish. I, it's not sixty minutes. You don't have to have the answer. It's it's a,
1: okay. it's, it's uh it's kind of like an off exchange way to speculate or hedge.
2: Oh, Michael loves It's not available exchange. in the U S. No, would on. you say it's <laughs> over the counter? Uh, but, so, OTC. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So Etor. All right. So, but now the European online brokerage market probably wasn't as saturated as the U S. one. So that was probably a very smart thing to pursue like growth there because here we have like a million broker dealers. So so what sets you guys apart from all of the other ways that people can trade here up to and including, let's say, Robinhood?
1: Well, we are a social investing app. We were the original social investing app because we've been around for 15 years. Um, You know, we, we just offer so much and we... Uh, are very, very focused on you know tapping the retail investor and giving them exactly what they need, which I know is kind of like a selling line for most retail brokerages. Yeah. Um But, but you we,
2: actually do it. But pretend. we actually do it. Come yeah. on.
1: Uh well we are, I, I believe we're the only brokerage that offers stocks, crypto, and options right now. Um, really? all in one platform. Am I might I might have to check check on that. But Robin, it
0: does, no. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> who, cares? who cares? You do cares? it
2: you yeah. do it better. All right. Well we're so we're so happy to have you. Thank you for coming. So let's start with CPI. I thought this was a nothing burger market. Like initially, like the knee jerk was down and then ripped higher. Um, there wasn't really anything in here that was different than anyone's expectations. But maybe you could tell me I'm wrong.
1: Yeah. So I think I think overall, you're right. I looked, so I was on my Bloomberg, you know, watching it per usual. Not around, to brag. I, mean, I know, I know. I have a Bloomberg terminal. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm yeah, like, she's, the, she's the best. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so around 8.30, I was, like, looking on my Bloomberg terminal, you know, watching everything come out. And it was bang on for, like, the consensus type stuff. Which it, is rare, right? I, uh,
2: like, everything was in line?
1: Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. It was pretty, uh, well— we give
2: people the numbers? Um, CPI was down 0.1% month over month in December.
1: Which was expected, by the way.
2: Expected. And in November, it was up plus 0.1 mm-hmm. month over month. Uh, annual inflation, 6.5%, slowest pace since October 2021. That number, which is the big number everyone focuses on, which we could talk about, is now down six straight months, mm-hmm. which is great. The energy index- But wait,
0: but wait, but wait. If you annualize like the
2: last three months, we're like there, we're like at their target.
1: Yeah, and it's because goods goods inflation is falling like a stone right now.
2: Yes, uh, the energy component was down 4.5% in December, so that mm-hmm. helps. Goods fell 0.3%. The thing, the sticking point is that food costs are still high and then obviously anything to do with rent. But we know that's like a six month out of date thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just throw this out. According to the CPI print, shelter was up 0.8% in December, but the apartment list national rent index, which is like probably better, fell 0.8% in December month over month, which is the fourth straight decline. Rents declined in 90% out of 100 of the largest U.S. cities. Mm -hmm. The sharpest decline in NYC, uh, minus 3% Mm -hmm. in December alone. That's a big drop. So these things are going in the right direction. I guess it took the market like five minutes to process that, and then we were green on the screen the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, but here's where I struggle. I feel like when I see economic data these days, I almost have to look at it as an analyst and then dissociate a little bit and think about how Jay Powell is seeing it and how the Fed is seeing it. Because- We've seen these trends we've seen real-time data show that rents are rolling off and you know a lot of real-time data is showing that inflation is slowing very very quickly and that's what's making everybody angsty right now They're like, hello, we're seeing it right. we're seeing it happen but at the Fed's December meeting Jay Powell was like, oh we have a high burden of proof you know we need to see more evidence and nothing has really changed from that trend perspective, which makes me nervous, which makes me think that the Fed, Wants to see something pop up in CPI or PCE.
0: When you say pop up, what
2: do you mean?
1: Uh, so I'll he back up. Like a
2: downside shock.
1: Uh, so I'm looking at services inflation. I'm looking at services inflation x energy. Um, I'm looking at you know the rent component of CPI, services x rent. Um, that still hasn't peaked uh, in the CPI data. It's just
2: climbing more slowly.
1: Yes, okay. it is climbing more slowly. We're we're getting there, but it still hasn't peaked. And I think where the market is thrown right now, and honestly, where a lot of people are thrown is we're seeing rents roll over again in real-time data. We're seeing real-time data confirm the fact that, you know, the Fed is actually pulling this off. But the Fed is like, no, 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 we need that high, high burden of proof. And you're like, well, how much more can I show they you? They need a million layoffs. Other than the official at yeah.
2: Well, I think that's I mean, right. that's, that's the, the waiting just Because
0: wages rolled over. Dramatically, yeah. So, what else? It's is it is it's
2: it just? Light,
1: light. just employment. I'm with you. Employment. What else? Yeah. Headline
2: unemployment is three and a half percent. Yeah. How the hell can you declare victory on inflation if if the only people who have gotten fired are like a handful what, of white collar workers at Amazon? What if they're well,
0: thinking that that we need demand destruction, we need a recession because if we don't, if we pull off the soft landing too too fast, people will start spending like crazy again.
1: Well, I they're dead set on getting inflation down. And that in a vacuum makes sense because you need to nip inflation in the bud. You can't have persistently high inflation. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. But I think they're just being like super, super, super sure, which I'm not sure is the right approach.
2: If we get a recession in the second half of this year because they do 25 in February, they do 25 in March. We blow through the month of April. There's no FOMC. May, they... They don't make any noises about pausing or they do another hike. And then the whole accumulation of everything that they did in 2022. And then in the second half, we're in a recession. What's the narrative? The Fed retook its credibility. Don't mess with the Fed. When they tell you they're going to do something, they do it. Or, hey, these idiots missed it in both directions. They let inflation run hot for a year we had the worst inflation in 40 years and then they crushed the economy after to add insulting. well what rate. if those are the two narratives and you've got just two camps Well, i'm asking yeah. what, what do you th- what do you think what, what do you think would be like the what would be the vibes
1: <laughs> what would from be doing the that? vibes uh, i think
2: it's the second one but maybe i'm wrong
1: i i think it would be the second one too what's and- like the second
2: one that they're idiots Look at these idiots. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they missed it. and they, then They didn't tighten. And then they over-tightened. And then a they year after the they, the they should have. Yeah. And yeah. then they and then they got it wrong on the way out and they crushed the economy all over again. And now we have to go mm-hmm. back to 0% interest rates yeah. because there's a financial crisis.
1: Yeah, like, knowing how the world thinks right now, and that, that sounds like a really, that's a bad way to put it. But, you know, knowing the vibes right now, the vibes around the mistrust of the government and the fact that crypto exists, yeah. decentralization and stuff, yes, I think that would be the I think
2: that's like, cons- honestly maybe like because I'm getting a lot of stuff that's being filtered through social media or whatever, I honestly think consensus is that they blow it and that they've already blown it and it's too late. Like, I think that that's the expectation is that I, I they're going to get wrong, get it wrong in both directions. I think directions. There,
0: there's, 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 it's starting to shift to maybe they're going to pull this off. Mm-hmm. Like,
2: there's definitely, it's definitely- In, start, stock, in stock prices, I agree. It seems and, the, like, and the economy,
0: and the economy. Like, listen- I agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything that we're seeing looks- and smells like a soft landing. Mm-hmm. It's not
2: over yet, obviously. If you but- get wage growth to fall, but keep unemployment under 4%, that's the, that's the definition of a soft landing.
1: Yeah, and there and are inf- ways to do coming that down. too. with yeah. inflation and coming with down. And with
2: inflation trending down. So yeah.
0: one of the things that's different about today versus—
2: Wait, can I just—I yeah. want to throw one thing into that mix, though. It's where the puck is going. And where the puck is going is that even if they're done hiking rates, they're not done with QT. Mm -hmm. And that is every bit as aggressive in terms of tightening real financial conditions as rate hikes are. That's one. Two, there's a lot of debt like in the trillions that has to be rolled. It'll be rolled at higher prices. And that is also another version of tightening just by a different name. So even if they stop with the Fed funds rate, we are like definitely not done with tightening. So Mm -hmm. it's very premature to start being like, hey, they just might pull this off. I feel like there's way more tightening to come regardless of the next FOMC.
1: So two things there. I'm in the camp where I think they can pull it off. I'm a little more optimistic than the average Wall Street economist. More than me. And I'm not an economist. Uh, Maybe it's just because I'm cup half full, but um, it looks like they're pulling it off so far. And there is just so much strength there. The job market will not budge, which is a great thing. That's what we want. So you know, until I see proof that a recession really is coming in the leading indicators, then and, and you're seeing you're seeing a little bit, a little bit of weakness. The ISM services number made me a little nervous.
0: And le- leading economic indicators are rolling over. Like yeah. to be clear, they don't. Oh look yeah, up. yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah. we're. Li- I mean, we're talking about the more rate sensitive ones, right? Like housing has been in the toilet for a while now. You know, I'm thinking especially about initial jobless claims. I mean, those have stuck to historical lows for so long, and. I mean, I'm thinking a lot about the job market, too, a lot of what we're seeing in the job market. And it's just it's really, really hard to think a recession is around the corner if the job market is so strong. Um, But I will say one thing about QT, too. Yes, the Fed is slowing rate hikes. And yes, they might be done. But that doesn't mean they cut. I think so many people are overlooking the fact that the Fed is more than happy to pause rates and to see. I
2: hope they pause and keep uh, tightening via balance sheet
1: yeah yeah, exactly. It's
2: continuing. And I
0: hope I would, the reason why I hope they pause is just from the perspective of, of an investor in fixed income. yeah, like it just makes our jobs as planners a lot easier.
1: Wait, why is that? Tell if me. we
0: If we can fulfill somebody's financial plan with four percent bond yields, mm. like that's fantastic.
2: It's been 50 ba- 70 basis points, yeah. for the last decade, well, maybe a little bit more than that. but yeah, one of the things that we're trying to do as financial planners, there's no like there's no way to know what asset classes will do. But there is some certainty in being able to quote the starting rate of a treasury bond and its duration and giving people some sense of, yeah, you can pretty much expect to get that as your annual rate of return well, so from 60, that yeah. bond.
0: Well, 60-40 became 70-30. Right. So if 60-40 can be 60-40 again, mm-hmm. it's, like a, it's a wonderful thing.
2: You can give people a little bit more – a little bit more certainty on a larger part of the portfolio.
1: Yeah. And you don't have to step out so far and risk exactly. to get that return. Exactly. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I all, we haven't spoken about housing, but I think that if rates stay here and they go back a little bit lower, like housing activity is going to skyrocket. I think that prices will probably come down, but I think that buyers are going to return and sellers. What's like, the magic
2: the, number on a 30-year I don't know. mortgage? Is it it's, it's
0: It's already down 120 basis points from the high. Where I'm sorry, that? Michael Antonelli, 1.2%. <laughs> it's- <laughs>
2: Where, where is it? it?
0: It's six one, six two.
2: So I'm saying, yeah. is under six? Is that the magic number where people call the mortgage broker? Yeah, I don't know down?
0: where the line of the sand is, but for people that have been frozen out, like they're going to come back really quickly.
1: Um, so I'm going to give you some anecdata. and I don't love data, but I am a millennial, and I do have friends. Neither that do are I. But if it houses.
0: supports what I'm thinking, then I love it. So let's hear <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll be all
1: for it. It might, yeah. it might. We'll be all for it. I mean, I I still have a lot of friends in Charlotte looking for houses. Um, it, the search sucks mm-hmm. right now. But the main thinking, and I'm talking, like, probably five to ten friends. The main thinking, though, is, like, by God, we need a house. We are going to find that house, and we'll just refi. 5 Charlotte representative,
2: though, of what's going on in most American metropolitan areas? Why not? Probably not. Why I, not? Think you're, I think you're in better shape than most.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, Charlotte's we've experienced— high, it's high, like a
2: boom it, town. Yeah, it's a high-income city, yeah. But,
1: you know, anecdata.
2: Yeah. Anecdata. Hey, you're from—so, I forgot you're from Charlotte. Do you know Paul? Paul? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have a funny last name. We, we have an advisor who works for us in Charlotte. You know oh, Paul. we
1: should meet. I yeah, one hundred percent.
2: Do you know Carolyn? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> uh, you have a CPI chart. Can we get to this? Well, so this is what I wanted to discuss. Um, uh, pop this. Pop this on. On. The- oh wait, hang on. Just, just the last part of the housing thing. So, if because they're
0: going to break something, they're going to break something which was not unreasonable. That thing that they were going to break was the housing market, and it slowed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Right, housing starts down forty percent. They, they did it. But if it can get turned back on. And they don't break the housing market. Like, that's another feather
2: in the cap for the soft lightning crowd.
1: I think so, but you have to balance out. I don't know if that's
2: good, though. That's the thing. that They don't want a reacceleration in home prices. I get it. I understand.
0: No, but I don't think you get that. I think you get activity at lower prices. Is there a such thing? Why
2: not? Can can we get, like, a burst of activity that doesn't drive prices up? Absolutely. Uh -uh. When? From
0: where— uh, there's no, there's nothing in the data. The last, th- this whole experience was so, there's no analog for it. Do you
2: it. feel like real estate is either hot or cold? If real estate gets hot again and houses are turning over, prices are going up, not going after. I, I think that there, I think
0: that you can see an acceleration of activity without, you're not going to see new all-time home prices, all, new all-time highs in home prices. Unless rates come dramatically though, which is probably not happening.
1: Yeah, so you think we can land somewhere in the middle, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, I think houses will adjust. Lukewarm, Goldilocks. So here, here's the thing. houses, House prices went up so much that for them to get back to the average of 2019, that would be a 30 plus percent crash, which has never happened before.
2: Duncan, mm-hmm. is this the most optimistic show we've done in like a few months? I'm
3: feeling good. I'm placing trades.
2: How much? How <laughs> how much of this optimism you think is coming from like stock prices have been going higher? Like yeah. Mike sounds pretty bullish. No, wait a minute. Wait it. a minute.
0: When did we speak to Derek? Was that two weeks ago? Stocks weren't on fire when I when I started getting. Optimistic. Yeah, no, it's been
2: two weeks, right?
0: So, um,
2: anyway, you might even be driving the rally then.
0: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight you. On, I, you. I, I won't fight you on that. Okay. <laughs> the rally is coming from inside the the podcast. Uh, all right. Um, so, Callie, you did this thing on. So right now, the S and P 500. It's Thursday afternoon, and it's nothing with nothing. Uh, up 33, 0.33%. percent. I'm sorry. Uh, there are pockets of strength, as there always are, but it's a it's a relatively relatively quiet day on Wall Street. Prior to this there has been uh, a lot of volatility on cpi d- cpi day so Callie, what had we seen prior to today
1: so i feel a little silly pulling this chart up now since everything is quiet but there there's still 45 minutes left so, in the trade so it's not over, it's it's over. Not over.
4: Yeah.
1: um so past four cpi reports i mean everybody saw this the market was nuts around them i remember in october i actually had a doctor's appointment so i was in the doctor's office when cpi came out and i remember checking you know, checking the market right after it and being like, bleep, shit, whatever. I was like, oh, my God. Like, look at the market. It dropped, like, 3%. The doctor's
2: like, Callie, you have three months to live. And you're like, I know, but wait, <laughs> wait, wait CPI wait. is out. Okay. I need
1: to check them. I yeah. need to place some hedging trades. Um, yeah, so I remember checking it, like, minutes after. And we were down 3%. And then got out of the doctor's office, like, 30 minutes later, we were up, too. Yeah. And we've seen those kinds of swings for the past three or four CPI reports I think that this has something to say about positioning. I think that there's there's just a lot of like data data driven positioning going on, and the market is just so laser focused on data, and it matriculates through the rest of uh, rest of capital markets, including the options market, which but I've done a recent look at this. But look at this chart
2: that you did. Like September was a surprise to the downside, but then you get a reacceleration in October that freaks no, everyone no, wait, out. Wait, so Josh, this is.
1: Yeah, this is stocks. close to close changes. The ones that you're no, looking but these
2: at. are on CPI days, though. Is my point?
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So I'm saying we had we had we thought I think this summer you had a big rally that started started it, uh, the market bottoms in June, July we rallied hard. August is a pretty good month. Stock prices, mm-hmm. and we thought we kind of had seen the worst of the inflation. Yeah. And then that number came out in I guess I guess the October number was the one. And it just shocked us to the downside. And it was like, oh my God, this isn't over yet. Right. I've, so right. could that not happen again? Like-
1: Oh yeah. It could I'm,
2: totally happen
1: again. I'm sure it could happen it didn't again. didn't happen I, today.
2: Next CPI, who knows? Let yeah. me just defend my
0: bullishness for a second. So everybody's <clears throat> pessimistic. The stock market was down 20% last year. And the big thing, the whole the whole thing was inflation. That was it, right? That was the whole deal. We are past peak inflation- um, and so I think there are reasons to be optimistic. I think the big risk, which is obviously a risk, are earnings. I don't think the whole thing was inflation. It though. was. The 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 whole,
2: I think the whole, was, the was, was I uh, come on Ru- Russia invading Ukraine no, was no. a massive market story. It was inflation and interest rates, which was the same story. Uh, it's a Fed tightening. It's because of inflation. China yeah. spent the whole year in rolling COVID lockdowns. Nobody that here was- cares. It was not about that. But it mattered for fundamentals. It doesn't matter.
1: But I think that those are subtexts to inflation and interest rates. I it agree. Kind of yeah. up. I
2: agree. Inflation. Like those CPI days that, that you're talking about, um, those were like the new remember, – remember when jobless uh, claims day was the big day or yep. unemployment? Like it was CPI day. It was NFP. It non-farm farm pay- NFP. non-farm yeah. payrolls used to be the Super Bowl every month. Yeah, CPI took its place. I totally agree.
0: That and that so was I just story. think if earnings come in less bad than expected, even if they fall, just not as much as people were thinking, like, I think the risk can be to the upside.
1: So that's that's where we're coming from, too. That's my view. Um, I think that I think that we're being too pessimistic once again with fourth quarter earnings, yeah. especially with the dollar and, you know, the big fall that we've seen in the dollar. Has that been worked in? I'm not so sure.
0: Yeah. So anyway, of course I could be wrong, like obviously, but I think there's reason to be optimistic. So uh, I want to talk about inflation expectations, which are a big driver of actual inflation. Mm -hmm. Those are rolling over dramatically. Why? Because it's it's a lot of this is just gasoline. Right. Like that. That is a big driver of how people view inflation.
1: Yeah. Isn't that crazy psychologically, though, thinking about how, you know, gas prices are the thing that's always in your face. Uh, you know, we can talk about egg prices, we can talk about groceries, but gas prices are, like, the main indicator for average America.
0: I buy eggs every week. I have no idea how much eggs cost. You know why? I just—it's it's one of 40 items in my shopping I cart. Think employer, I have no idea. I
2: think employers are feeling less anxiety about whether or not they'll be able to find uh, labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's not showing up in the form of headline unemployment, let's say, but all of the small business owners or NFIB or whatever— That's all cooling off. Like, I don't think people are panicked about finding workers right now in the way that we were, let's say, a year ago. And Mm -hmm. that is a big setter of inflation expectations. Like, if you're able to hire people or not feel like you can't fire anyone, that kind of anxiety feeds through into higher expectations that are just not materializing right now.
1: Yeah, So that helps. That's a really good point. And the thing that we've been harping on this whole year, too, is that inflation expectations have basically hovered around 2% this whole year. And that is the big difference between now and the 1970s. The market investors think the Fed can do this. And they haven't. Well, I mean, time to time, you're going to hear people like complain about it. I do too. But, you know, on the whole, cumulatively, investors haven't stepped off of this idea that the Fed can do it. The Fed almost, in a weird way, has retained its credibility there.
0: Well, so let's talk about calling the Fed's bluff. Let's do it. So, Callie, what do we have to say about this topic?
1: Okay, so I mean, gosh, there's so much to say about this topic. So everybody's talking about the bond vigilantes. Vigilantes. vigilantes? I don't know about <laughs> that. I said that correctly. very
0: sophisticated. Vigilantes. vigilantes. It's
1: only vigilante <laughs> if it comes from the vigilante region of yeah, France, right? Exactly. That's um, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so the bond vigilantes. Vigilantes. Uh, two-year yield, obviously, pricing in has been pricing in rate cuts for a bit. Uh, it peaked in November. Um, and, you know, the big question is, can the bond market force the Fed's hand? I to actually cut,
2: To cut rates?
1: To cut rates. Wait, Cal, can you
0: just explain for the listener that doesn't understand what's the difference between the two-year and the Fed funds and, and what, what, what's driving what? Is there a tail that's wagging the dog here type of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Fed funds rate is the policy re- rate that the Fed changes. It's the overnight lending rate for banks. Uh, yes, banks uh, trade around money every once in a while. Um, All right. So that's the Fed funds rate. The two-year yield, we're getting into the treasury market. This is debt backed by the U.S. government. Um, The two-year yield seen as a proxy for the Fed funds rate, you know, ostensibly two years down the road. Um, But a lot of people look at it as as, what will the Fed do next? Um, And we've seen in a lot, uh, in many hiking cycles in the past, that the two-year yield has foreshadowed Fed rate cuts. Um, So when the two-year
0: rolls over, the Fed... the Fed is likely to cut next.
1: Right, exactly. So when the two year peaks and then you know falls from that peak, the Fed you know stop stops hiking or they tend to cut.
2: What was the peak yield on the two year in November? Was it four four point <sighs> 4. 4. five? Something
1: around 4.
2: 4.6, Yeah, I missed and that. Now, Come back. Okay, and now <laughs> and now what is it? F- four and a quarter.
1: Yeah, it's like around four and a quarter.
2: Okay, but we don't know that that's the peak. We know it's a peak, but okay, right, right. But like, that's just knows, pricing but- in like traders' expectations. And okay,
0: yeah. So, but if
1: that is the peak,
2: if that is,
0: if but that it's, is, the it's, peak. it's four one. I mean, this
1: four one. This
0: this this rolled over pretty.
1: Okay. Pretty, uh,
0: mm. Does, does mm. Anybody, else that is, anybody else see head and shoulders? Anybody else see
2: that? What's <laughs> interesting is when we say roll over, that's the yield we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Price is up. Pe- uh, people are buying those bonds to make those yields fall. That's people looking at that and saying, "Wait a minute, let me get this straight." You're going to pay me two and a half, uh, four and a half percent risk-free over the next two years. I'll take it. I'll take all you got. That's how you put in a top in, in that bond price. So like we're talking about rolling over in terms of the yield. But another way to think about it is, hey, people feel pretty good that this is about as high as rates are going to get or they're just happy with that level for whatever bucket of money they're using.
1: Right, which insinuates down the road that rates, the two-year rate will not be higher. Right. right, if you're stepping in there,
2: yeah. said so definitely bonds are ripping, so bonds are yeah. ripping.
1: Yeah, ten years under three point five.
2: What's this thing on Neil Kashkari on investors' expectations? I, I actually of rate didn't cuts? read this yet. Did you read this article,
1: Kashkari? Yeah, which one? So
2: Kashkari was speaking with Timoreos. Let me quote oh, it. I don't Let me think quote so. it. I've uh, this is this is this is uh, Nick Timoreos quoting Kashkari on investors' expectations of rate cuts. "Quote: I've spent enough time around Wall Street to know that they are culturally." institutionally optimistic. He asks, is it a game of chicken? And Kashkari laughs. They are going to lose the game of chicken.
1: Oh, that's the one that you sent me. Okay, game of chicken. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, Kashkari so, so does not hold back. What's with
2: this tough rhetoric? Chill out, dude. <laughs> Why? So that that's from a 7,600-word New York Times magazine story that tells the tale of what the Fed has been doing over the last year or two, partly through a profile of Kashkari. I think we're all set with this guy. <laughs> it, is 7,600 words enough? Is there, is there more that we need to read or hear from him? Uh, he seems to be the guy that reacts really aggressively in both directions. Mm-hmm. He was a zero percentage rate guy for a long time, and the Fed's not doing enough, and now it's the other way. Let's play a game of chicken yeah. and see if Wall Street wants to guess how high we're willing to take rates.
1: I think he's the Fed's influencer, besides Jay Powell. He's
2: like their TikTok account. He's their SDF. I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't really care that much about what he has to say. I'll follow the two-year. I'll take your, I'll take your advice on that.
1: Yeah, well, so the thing with the two-year too is, I think, I mean, I think the trend is obvious here. The, The Fed is peaking out hopefully soon if we get inflation under control. And then after that, you know, hopefully we can bring rates back down. But I think the timing is where, People are getting thrown off a little bit because they see the two-year fall and they're like, "Rate cuts are coming," and historically, especially in recent history, that hasn't happened because the Fed pauses.
0: So what if? So what if the Fed doesn't cut? Then what?
1: I mean, if the Fed doesn't cut, then rates stay high and we're all we're all still stuck in this kind of purgatory of, you know, no maybe, landing. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> Hopefully, a soft landing. I think the Fed can pull it off, but um, but
0: be- don't we think it's a good thing if the if the economy? Can digest higher rates, normal rates. Like it's not like rates are double digits. Just normal rates. The tenure is what are the 10-year fall to? The tenure is three four. It's not. Ex- but wow, that's actually <laughs> quite low compared to where it was. It was at yeah. four four. Wow. It
1: broke three five today. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but that's not high. If we can't take this, like Jamie Dimon said, the Federal Reserve's rate hikes might need to go. Uh, 50-50 chance they might have to go to six percent. He said on Fox Business last week. What do you think about that?
1: He wishes it would go to 6%.
2: Well, he uh, would do pretty, they would do pretty well at, <laughs> rates at
1: 6%. Yeah. Uh, you
2: guys would too, by the way.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. We're a brokerage.
2: Everybody would be okay with that, <laughs> except for the actual economy. But ev- ev- every everyone running a platform that sweeps cash into some sort of a cash management vehicle would be okay with 6%.
1: Look, I stand the economy, I stand a strong job market.
2: Okay. Um, uh, Paul Tudor Jones said that if they pull this off, it would be a moon landing. We landed on the moon. <laughs> yeah, qu- yeah, qu- quote, there's huge amount of savings that consumers have from all the COVID relief bills and the stimulus that was applied both from a fiscal and monetary standpoint, said Jones. He is faced, Tomet uh Powell, he is faced with that very difficult proposition of working that down without breaking things. And he is saying, this is the most challenging economic environment in 40 years. Sounds like a
0: 2022 quote.
2: And yeah. if we pull this off, it's a it's a perfect moon landing is that overstated, understated.
1: I like the imagery
2: of the of Jay Powell landing the, the well, rocket. The on idea
0: the that we can break inflation without causing recession seemed highly unlikely.
1: And it's I think it. the chances are growing. I think the chances are growing. And the consumer, I mean, we know the consumer is the best storyline in the economy right now, and it continues to surprise us which as the months go by and as, as I see the consumers stay strong and the job market stay strong, it's easier to believe in that soft landing that felt impossible six months ago. So
0: the only way the consumers stay strong, well, so if last year was all about inflation, which mm-hmm. I think it was, And if we had to boil this down, this year down to it's all about, what is the blank? Is it all about employment? Is it all about earnings?
1: Okay, so I'm going to whip some data out of my pocket for this. So we do quarterly surveys with retail investors, not just on eToro's platform, globally, no matter the platform, demographic, age, whatever. We asked them what they're worried about, what they're investing in, what they're doing with their money, Uh, just basically like a a brain download from retail investors. So we did a run in December. And all of last year in our quarterly surveys, investors were like, inflation is the biggest risk, bar none. Like, this is what we're worried about. I'm even adjusting my portfolio for or to deal with inflation. But they're
2: just getting this stuff because they're hearing it in the media. Like, no, I don't, they were actually worried about inflation. Yes, because the media is, I, I'm just saying the retail investors in general. Josh, they, the media does not drive gas prices. No, no, no. But it starts somewhere.
1: But they're seeing it in their real lives, too. Yes, Retail investors also told us that they were cutting down on their investing because their bills are higher. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, uh, okay, that's true.
1: I, yeah, I, I I think that there's more there. But anyway, so the cut in December that we did. We asked them, what's the number one risk in your mind for 2023? They said the state of the U.S. economy. So I think we are pivoting over to recession worries now. Okay, now we're not worried it's
2: too hot. Now we're worried how fast it's falling off.
0: But I just, I can't. It's hard to get bearish with employment this strong. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously that can change, right? I'm not saying yep. that the account, that that employment will remain where it is, but as long as people have jobs, they will continue John, to spend money. John, give me this
2: Bank of America. And as
0: long as they continue to spend money, like how do you uh, get a credit card know? chart?
1: Yeah, you can't fight it. Don't fight the consumer. And
0: the other way to get bearish is listen, if you just say we're still we're still normalizing the rates versus equity valuation story. That you can convince me of. Yeah, that we're not in a zero interest rate environment anymore, and stocks are still too expensive. That I could, I fine. I won't fight you
2: on. Yeah, that. show Spe- me something. Speaking, speaking to that. So this is coming from. Uh, let me read it off here. This is coming from Bank of America credit and debit card spending, everything. This is this is like until this week. So this is mm-hmm. as up to So what are we looking at? Restaurant spending per household I- uh, income group year over year change of the seven day, Uh, airline spending per household, entertainment spending per household, lodging spending per household. And which direction is it going? They're all re-accelerating higher. Vertical. Mm. Vertical, total card spending. Look at this one, total card spending Mm. per household and cruise, cruise. Could you imagine? How do they look? Cruise spending. These are ver- these are all now trending hey, guess back what? higher.
1: Transportation inf- inflation, right there. Cruises look okay. So, but
2: that's the risk of that reacceleration. That's yes. why they yeah. need Kashkari yeah. out there being a bond villain. Yeah, because w- yeah, Royal
0: Caribbean is ripping. Yeah, like well, these stocks look good. Cruise. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I, I'm,
2: I'm agreeing with you. The data is agreeing. <laughs> I, uh, that's the problem. There's look at still su- look Every- This chart. Look at this. Look at Wind Resorts. Yeah. So, okay. So, what they did was they knocked like $10 trillion off of everyone's portfolio and home price, give or take, right? Like the losses in the home market. Mine didn't,
0: didn't go down 10 trillion,
2: quite. <laughs> in the aggregate, the losses of like home values, stock market value, bond market, let's say 10 trillion, mm-hmm. for argument's sake. That sounds like a lot. It didn't really put that much of a dent in consumer spending data. that you would have guessed. Got a
0: da- okay. I saw a data point today. 90% of cash, uh, of refis last year were cash out. How really? crazy is that? Really?
1: That's wild.
0: Which makes sense. I did. Give me my money. <laughs> yeah, my well, is, I need to
2: book a cruise immediately. My home is magically
0: <laughs> up 25%. Um, okay.
1: <laughs> cash out refis yeah. to take cruises. Uh, or to who, remodel. Aren't you remodeling?
0: I'm getting I'm, mud. Actually, mud my mudroom mud room is happening as we speak. You got your building awesome. mudroom? Awesome. Yeah. What's a mudroom? So this is so this is funny. I sent this to my wife because some, I'm only
2: middle class so we don't have No, like shut that. up.
0: You have a, you have a big you have cuz you have a cuz you have a two car garage. I don't.
2: Okay. So what is a mudroom? So it's like hooks to put raincoats on. And then take an Instagram picture. So listen, like, it's where
0: you leave so, all your shoes. So, somebody tweeted. Somebody tweeted. No idea. No idea. This was even a thing, but apparently, rich people have mudrooms and drop zones. I don't know what drop zone is, where they put their stuff before they enter their house. Well, I
2: wouldn't walk into my own house wearing shoes. It's disgusting. Well, I do. So <laughs> you're like an animal. I agree. When, Wait, you walk out of Penn Station? Hold on. You I wear sneakers in, in my house. How many public Fight restrooms me. do you use in a given day in Manhattan? Seventeen. And I, then I, you go home and walk into your f-ing house. I do. No, you don't. I do. No, you need a mudroom so, yesterday. So <laughs> that's why I, I, have,
0: I have a, a little, I have a one-car garage. So when we, mm-hmm. we go upstate a lot, we have a cabin upstate. When we come home, we just dump everything out in the uh, in the
2: door. Out in the yard.
0: Yeah, and it takes, it just takes <laughs> like a they're week. They're real aristocrats. The it bad. takes a week. So anyway, so we're cutting our garage in half and we're making, that's like where you that's have sm-
2: No, that's smart to do that. We have like- a whole wall in the garage garage. cubbies for shoes so when you go to your house you could go into your garage
0: and you could get undressed or do whatever you have to do I don't have that
1: that's Mm. essentially a mudroom that's a mudroom so I basically your garage
2: is your mudroom I use it as a mudroom but it's not a mudroom exactly right Uh, yeah you can't walk in. you walk on your carpet with the shoes that you walk through the city I don't have carpet only uh, downstairs I yes. so wear sneakers. So maybe that's not as, as grungy. And
0: we also, like, we like, we like uh, do the Swifter. We do no, we yeah. do. We
2: throw our shoes out and we just get new shoes the next day when we leave the house.
0: I, well, I wear new shoes every
2: day. You don't? You've met you've met Sprinkles. You know there's no there's no mud coming into my house. So, when, <laughs> no, when uh, you go to Josh's house, take your shoes off. Oh, dude, take your
0: yeah, shoes off in enough. the driveway. If
1: you come to my don't house, even come But to my mud I do room,
0: take your shoes,
2: shoes off, up, but take your shoes off.
1: Yeah, I'm in that camp. Take your shoes off.
2: <laughs> uh, We all should be. Okay, <laughs> investor positioning, despite weak returns in December, Investors increased equity and bond allocations heading into 2023. For me, that's just rebalancing, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you th- What do you think? We have the chart.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's rebalancing. I think there was a lot of rebalancing going on at the end of the year, as I mean, there
2: should have been after right, a year right. like last year. I, mean, I'm I with rebalanced
1: you. my portfolio, but I also think we shouldn't understate the fact that you know I. So the biggest thing that I've realized working and studying retail investors is the fact that retail investors invest when they have cash. And you just showed that B of A chart of you know consumer yeah, spending going parabolic. Yeah. You know, retail investors have a lot of money and that's a good thing. Amer- Americans have a lot of money. The job market is strong and they're gonna invest that money. There are I mean, there are undercurrents. That's not the that's not the only thing there. But I think that you know, this continued retail investor optimism is because Americans are doing really well right now. But well. wait, I don't like,
0: see optimism. So this is from State Street. If you look at I'm sorry, last uh Previous chart on, if you don't mind. If you look at the cash allocation, mm-hmm. now we look at percentiles. Okay, so a year ago it was twenty eight percent. So investors had relatively little cash.
2: What was twenty eight percent?
0: The their cash allocations,
2: the in, cash allocation in their portfolios. Not,
0: not that they had twenty eight percent of their of their portfolio in cash. If you look at the historical amount that they had in cash, this was the twentieth percentile. So they had a light cash position. Okay, okay. let
2: la- year la- when one uh, year, a year ago. ago. Okay, and so t- it was still a bull market. Exactly, and exactly. Money.
0: Okay. Uh, in November, that was the, it was in the 94th percentile.
1: So, okay, so, okay. People, so I take all that back. Yeah, I'm just t- kidding.
0: No, no, but you also have to separate. There's there's all sorts of investors, yeah. right? There's traders, there's buying holders and everything in between. But just from this survey alone, and this is, everybody was bearish. The cash positions of uh, uh, mm-hmm. fund managers was at all-time highs. Across the board, right. you saw bullish Uh, I'm sorry, you saw
2: bearish sentiment. The takeaway here, the rolling three-month flow differences, equity minus fixed income So look at this.
0: Look at January 21.
2: Yeah. Could not get enough stocks. Right. So we finished the year just above the five-year median in favor of bullish on stocks versus fixed income. Yeah.
1: Which is amazing to me because 2022 was hell. Like, I. yes, we have also noticed that investors are raising cash. Uh, Quarterly surveys going back to that, they have said for- two quarters now that they're raising cash. I'm raising in cash
2: version. to buy stocks. I, how do you like that?
0: <laughs> hey,
1: some of them are too. We <laughs> asked them a dem- why they're raising but there's cash. A democra-
2: there's a demographic story mm-hmm. too. The makeup, like whatever this survey, so whoever this survey is tracking, it's, it's, it's a much, fine, but it's a much, just it's a much younger investor demographic. So AII? No. no. Just generally, like uh-huh. the the whole population yeah. of investors oh, now yeah. skews a lot oh. younger than mm-hmm. it did even five well, years ago. Ne- what
0: yeah. if they're raising cash for mudrooms? Next chart, John. <laughs> this is.
2: I would say I would say that's a good idea.
0: This is the AAII. Uh, this is the bullish and bearish spreads, and just rolling over. And and it, they also show their State Street co- Investor Confidence Index plunged. For good reason. Listen, it's not it's not just the meme stocks. It wasn't just the Kathy Wood no. stocks. Like Apple looks looked terrible. Yeah. Amazon cut in half. I mean, all of them. All yeah, of where them. Where should
2: sentiment be? Yeah, you just had the worst year for a 60-40 portfolio. Uh I think the third worst year of all time. Don't mm-hmm. I don't. sentiment it. be?
0: I'm not saying that sentiment is is too is. I'm saying it's appropriately bearish. Yeah, like it should be bearish. It's However, been
1: bearish for. A year now. And
0: rightfully so. Yeah. But however, when you have positioning that bearish and you have a whiff of positive news Mm -hmm. and things are less bad than expected, that's how you set up for a powerful rally.
1: That is exactly it. And this is why bearish positioning, it feels really awful. I mean, we all feel awful and that's why we're bearish. But it is low key, one of the strongest market dynamics. I compare it to getting punched in the stomach, but knowing that the punch is coming. You know, mm. if you know that you're about to get punched, you tense your stomach. You're like, "Oh my god, it's happening!" Then you get punched, and you're like, that "Doesn't hurt." Like, the okay, anticipation
2: fine. is worse than the uh, the event. Exactly. exactly. It's All like the time. Stubbing your toe. You put. So you you were explaining the quarterly survey of ten thousand global investors, mm-hmm. um, why they they haven't cut the amount of money that they've invested this past year. What you want to go through some of these reasons?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So I'll. So, it is a glo- uh, global survey of 10,000 be- investors. I look at the US cut, but we do like a big global survey. So, anyway, US cut. So, yes. So, so overall, I've been shocked by how resilient the US retail investor has been. Yeah. Uh, throughout the year, like a majority of them have said, I am investing the same amount of money as I did three months ago, or I'm increasing that. And,
2: hell yeah. It's,
0: faci-
1: oh, yeah. it's
2: fascinating, though, that they're doing that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't and have
2: predicted it. I wouldn't have predicted it. Well, it
1: goes back to the fact that retail investors invest when they have cash. But that's yeah. also
2: a good point. Like, forget about
0: the the surveys. What are they actually doing?
1: Well, I mean, we feel like shit. We're still buying.
2: <laughs> well, here you have it. You said some are moving into bonds and in safer sectors like defensives.
1: Yeah, they're diversifying, but they're not
2: with- selling out. That's exactly. The ki- that's the key.
1: And they're not cutting down the money that they're investing. They're not saying like, "Oh, this doesn't feel good. Like maybe I'll invest." 50 well, also, if you
0: look at like Baltrunas does this all the time. If you look at ETFs under ten basis points, the index funds, they're mm. not getting, they're not slowing down the flows,
1: right? At all, right?
2: Yeah. Um, you said you're still seeing lots of interest in crypto. Wait, wait, wait yeah. hold on. Before we pivot to crypto, we're not pivoting to crypto. Okay, there's, there's no, <laughs> no, this is a non non crypto <laughs> podcast today.
1: I thought we talked about SVF.
2: Yeah, that was enough. I'll, fl- I'll fling <laughs> myself the out okay. the f- window if we do do any more crypto. But they are still showing an interest in crypto. They Is that are. because mm-hmm. you can now buy things for a half a penny? Is, it- <laughs> Is that that phenomenon? Like, holy crap! This thing was eighteen dollars a coin, and now it's uh, four cents.
1: Well, I think it's a demographic story. So this December cut of data we got, I was, of course, the first thing I ran to was the crypto questions. And basically what we asked them were, um, we asked allocations. So we asked like, were you invested in crypto? Do you plan? Yes or no. Do you plan on investing in crypto in the next three months? Yes or no. Do you put
2: investing in quotation marks when you write that? (laughs) No. I'll, okay.
1: have to, I'll have to run that one by Amy. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right.
2: Crypto looks good here. Watch your math. <laughs> Michael's bullish again. Crypto broke. Well, cri- bullish again. Crypto is breaking out right now. Yeah. Great.
1: But the really surprising thing to me is that, well, A, this isn't so shocking, but younger investors especially held on to their crypto. What, did bald,
2: what did
0: bald investors
2: do?
1: What did bald investors do? That's a oh, cut that we don't be great look at.
2: If you just start asking,
1: if- N equals one right there. <laughs> what did bald investors do?
2: Can we do this put-to-call ratio snark? I want you to give it yes! to Yes! Oh, I this want is
1: my favorite give, thing. I want you to,
2: like, give us the the unvarnished. Just go, really go for it.
1: Okay, okay. We'll First of on. all,
2: explain to people—John has the chart up. Explain to people what the CBOE equity put-to-call ratio is, and then tell us why you're snarking on it these days.
1: Okay, so the options put-to-call ratio. By the way, options are not suitable for all investors. High compliance. Um I, seriously though you
2: just you just winked though when you said that. <laughs> I did not so win. I just want the I want the, tape. the listener I, did not I want the listener to know that.
1: <laughs> All right, so the put call ratio is essentially the volume of SIBO SIBO traded uh, equity put options uh, divided by the volume of SIBO traded equity call options. It's a ratio. Uh, yeah, it's a ratio. Okay. It's a ratio.
2: We're trying to find out how many bearish bets versus how many bullish bets. Right. That's the, the essence of it.
1: But zoom out from that because this is volume. You don't know what those traders are doing. They could be buying. They could be selling. And we're talking options, too. We're talking puts and calls. So it gets you're really— You're selling
2: puts. You're bullish.
1: Exactly. So it but doesn't, doesn't that, really tell that, you— But doesn't there have to be somebody on the other side of that? It could be a market maker. Mm. Oh, interesting.
2: So, oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, and— Options, I mean, option strategies are so wide these days because there's so many products out there. Institutions use dif- options differently than retail uses options. And it just— I have an
2: iron condor on right now. so.
1: <laughs> That's my favorite—
2: On what, Doge? Name trade. Yeah. That's my favorite um, name trade. All right, there. so people are, people are looking at this really big spike that I guess began in 2021—
1: uh, ish. But well, it's I'm a, looking at it's the really spike. big, big just, spike at the end of just, 2022. It's not, it's not it's going
2: of, away. What's so going on? what are people saying is going on with this and what is your problem with it?
1: Okay, so put call ratio, it spiked a lot in December and it spiked on the same day every week. I want to say it was Wednesday or something. And I picked up on it a little a little into December because it seemed to be something that caught fire on Twitter. It was like the put call ratio is really really high. That's got to be bearish. People are buying puts. First of all, we've already determined that put-call ra- ratio is volume. It's a it's an indicator of, of emotion, not direction. Um, oh, and, I like
2: that. I like – look at you. Yeah. All right, go on. Copyright. Go on. Uh <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> Hittita,
3: in the car. Indicator yes. of emotion.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, go. go on.
1: Uh, all right, so put-call ratio was really, really high. I dug into the contracts that were being traded on the day when the put-call ratio spiked.
2: Were they at Mar-a-Lago? Where did you <laughs> dig into them?
1: Well, I don't know who was trading them. Okay. But – the top traded contracts the day that the put call ratio spiked were deep in the money puts on tech stocks, huh. which seems really, really bizarre. It kind of hit me weird at first because you think deep in the money, like that's not hedging. Right. And like, why would you buy deep in the money? What so that,
0: who's doing Buffett?
1: It, so it's actually institutions. <laughs> so I I wrote like a little Twitter thread on this because, of course, I can't get it out of my mind. I'm like. Look, this is deep in the money puts. Like we know the put call Who would be putting
2: that trade on and why? Somebody's selling that strategy to somebody else.
1: Well, exactly. On Wall Street. And I threw out there, I was like, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's put sales for income or something. It's Kashkari. But I, (laughs) Kashkari.
2: No, but doesn't that happen on the street? Like somebody creates a strategy and they start selling it to the buy side. And then hedge funds are like, yeah, we're doing this strategy. And when they, when they're like, uh, when they're like, Talking to other managers, and then all of a sudden, it becomes a thing.
1: Yeah, so that's how you this can get is, a rash of that. This was an institutional trend becoming. A I got thing. a rash, man. Right. And the only way you can really, the only way you can really tell is getting color from people who know the traders, which is kind of, kind of crappy. But I, I talked to a few people after I posted that, you know, just because I used to be an options reporter, I know people, and <laughs> I, I talked to them, and they were like, "No, this is this is a trade that's going on on Wall Street where." Um, institutions are basically rolling their put positions okay. and collecting the income on them, but avoiding that early exercise and just continually rolling them on tech stocks.
2: And and that creates the appearance, this spike in the chart.
1: That's volume. Yeah.
2: OK. So yeah. there's nothing really particularly directional about that. It's
1: not bearish. It's actually neutral because you you have to hold the stock. So were you things
2: the things. only person to go out there and explain that? Um, or were you the first person to like –
1: yeah, it- uh, I, you know what? I, I don't know. SIBO, and this is why I feel extra legit about that explanation. SIBO came out and posted a blog post about it. There you go. The, the exchange did where they, all of this volume happened. Did they link to you
2: it. or did they reference No, you? no,
1: no, 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 no. And I doubt I was the first person to come out with it. Okay. Um But I'm sure a lot of people were talking about. But the overwhelming narrative was, oh, my God, the put-call ratio is spiking. It's bearish. And it's like, no, people, context matters.
2: You're saying it's the same thing happening with the VIX. Lots of short-term options activity that isn't captured in the normal VIX. What do you mean by that?
1: Okay, so the VIX is my other favorite thing to snark on. And by the way, like again, used to be an options reporter. wrote about the VIX a lot. The VIX can tell you a lot of stuff, and it has acted the same. You want to say something? No, okay. I'm sorry. I just
0: I just pulled it up. I'm like, whoa. Wait, what? Look happened?
2: at the VIX. It's just VIX, smushed. Uh, wow. Val smash down vol to smash. 20 again. Vol wow. 19. Sorry, I, love a good I started. Vol to cut, smash. S- sorry to cut you off, Kelly.
1: No, no, no. You're good. By okay. the
2: way, he does that to everyone. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Go
1: ahead. Hey, I know how it goes. Okay, so the VIX. Um, the biggest complaint about the VIX this year is that it hasn't spiked up to 80 or 90, even though we've been in this vicious, painful bear market. Not even
0: 40. Can't even get to 40. Not even
1: 40. I think the top was like 36 or something. I don't so. get out of
2: bed for a 35 VIX. <laughs> so.
1: I mean, I do. But, you know.
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm here. But you're right. We didn't have that thing that everyone said we needed to flush the market out. Like, you want a real bottom- you need a VIX 40, you need a VIX 50. Like this right. is the but do thing you? that we kept No, hearing.
1: you don't. I think investors are appropriately anxious, but they're expressing that anxiousness in different ways. Mm. And I think I really get fired up about this because I feel like the easy argument is, oh, the VIX hasn't spiked. It means we have further to, further to go. Like mm-hmm. there's no fear. And I'm like, no. The data we see around the VIX, first of all, is incredibly bearish. Like, sentiment is bearish. There's no way around it. So what's going on with the VIX? Why is the VIX an outlier? And, you know, I dug into it a little bit. Short-term options volume is a huge amount of, you know, daily options volume. Spot Gamma actually does really good work on this. Um, they they run the amount of short-term options volume uh, per day.
0: You know Duncan runs that handle? No, he doesn't.
1: Duncan, what?
2: <laughs> bet, that better not be you.
1: Duncan's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Um anyway, so yeah, so short-term options volume is a huge huge chunk of daily options volume. It's meaning what? 30 to 50% or so. This is what Spot Gamma says. So, I don't I, I don't have that data data, but um the why this is so important is because the VIX is a measure of 30-day options prices. And short-term options prices, we have weeklies, we have dailies. Um if you're trading weeklies, if you're trading dailies, I mean that's that's 1 to 5 days. It's 1 to 7 days or so. And There's actually this less well-known VIX. It's called the short-term VIX. It's a measure of nine-day prices. And that VIX has been going insane this year and spiking before CPI days, before jobs days. Like how is that
2: quoted? Is that quoted the same way the regular VIX is? Does it have like a number attached to it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It has a number attached to it. for,
2: For argument's sake.
1: Oh, God. It was like 37 yesterday.
2: Holy shit. And that's people trading weekly op- uh, options?
1: That's nine day options. So it's people nine trading day. on either side of nine days because I think they average it out. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And actually, so some, I forgot his name. Somebody actually wrote a paper on this. Okay. Um, it came out like a few Probably days Corey ago. Probably Corey Hofstein. I think it was Chris Seidel. Mm. Okay. Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, if I that would make sense. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love- I'm sorry if I have to I love Chris. It. No, I
2: owe him an email. We've had Chris that. on the show. He's great.
1: Yeah. But, so short-term options are dominating options flow. And of course, the VIX isn't picking it up. It's not that the VIX is broken. It's just measuring what Something it's else, built. Something else, 30-day. Right, exactly. Yeah. And more and more people are not using those 30-day options.
2: So you said the options ecosystem has changed a lot over the past few years, Yeah. quote, for the better. But that means you have to think about options indicators differently. So maybe we should just be following the short-term VIX, or that should be added to the the arsenal of people who are trying to determine what's really going on in the markets.
1: I mean, I definitely give it an eye. I, I tweet about it quite a bit. You see, I mean, you see the short-term VIX pick up before jobs days, before Fed days, before CPI days, which makes a lot of sense intuiti- well, intuitively, but-
2: Yeah, because that <laughs> event falls within that nine-day horizon. But exactly, okay I, yeah. I think you spoke about this. We had Nicholas talking about this. The other, the thing is
0: though that all of these things where the market got crushed because you would, and, and therefore you would expect a VIX spike. It yep. happened because it was a CPI day, and everybody was positioned for it. Mm-hmm. So CPI coming in hotter than expected will not cause a VIX spike because it's not it's not out of left field. VIX spikes tend to happen with unexpected downside, not expected downside.
1: Yeah, and that's another really good point. I think Nicola said it was like a Hitchcock horror. Right. It was like Hitchcock yes. horror versus. Some other scary like, filmmaker,
0: yeah. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, John, Wes Craven, let's go
1: with Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah, so none of this has been really surprising. That's a good point. This has been a systemic pullback going back to the interest rates and inflation argument. Um, and we've been bearish all year. We've been appropriately hedged all year. So, right. you know, nothing is really scaring us. It's, everything is less bad than we think.
2: We're going to do this job market thing because you have some good charts here. We're jumping around a little bit, but I think this stuff is really important right now because- this is where the rubber meets my opinion, where the rubber meets the road for the Fed mm-hmm. is labor.
4: Yeah.
2: Everything else is an offshoot. The way people spend, the cost of shelter, blah, that whole wage price spiral thing, all of that is predicated on whether or not there's gonna be slack in the labor force or not. And right now there isn't. And unfortunately for the Fed, I think millions of people stopped working forever during the pandemic. They're not coming back. And we have effectively net negative immigration for five years, six years. Like a lot of things are working against the Fed.
4: Mm-hmm. So
2: that labor thing is going to be tough for a while. But show us uh, – let's go through – John, show us this chart, uh, the first job market chart.
0: This is from, this is from Dietrich.
2: This is showing – Let's go through this.
0: This is the annual gain or loss for jobs. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we know what happened in 2020. But we had back-to-back incredible years in 2022 – we added four and a half million jobs. And the next that's chart-
2: such a big, that's such a huge, that's mm-hmm. one year gain in jobs.
0: Well, the, the, the next chart-
1: has been awesome.
0: The next chart from, from the journal is really just a sight to be seen. What we're looking at, for those of you who are listening on a podcast, are the jobly declines on a monthly basis. And then just the stair step high, we got them all back. And just look at this for a second.
2: So we had gotten back- to pre-pandemic levels of employment in the middle of 22. Is that right? Do I have that right? You said middle? I'm yeah. sorry, we got half of them back? All of them. And now we're that in the sounds, bonus.
1: That sounds about right. Yeah. And now
2: we're in the bonus. Yes, yeah, that's right. It, right. And it it's does- Incredible. incredible. It, it does. So we Nobody lost, could have predicted this. We lost 20 million jobs in two months, March and April of 2020. And then we got them all back and it really didn't take as long as a lot of people thought it might.
1: Yeah, which is something we should celebrate. We
2: would not have done as much stimulus had we known had we known that by midway through twenty twenty-two we were gonna get all of the jobs back and then some, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had the March 2021 stimulus package, I don't think. Mm-mm. The Biden one. Well, he, he would have done it anyway. Just, he would have done it yeah. anyway. Cause he got elected on that. Okay. Let's uh what's this Carl Kennedy so, so, tweet?
0: So I don't you know, this this chart is uh <laughs> I don't even know what's going on here. It looks like the chart is going backwards. But the tweet is – this is from Pantheon Macro. Wage growth is narrowing rapidly. Um, this dynamic strongly suggests that wage growth can return to a pace consistent with the 2% inflation target without a material increase in the unemployment rate. I'm just telling you right now. If this happens, soft landing
2: achieved.
1: Mm-hmm. What? If they can wage, bring – This w- is the best argument for a soft if landing If they
0: figure. can bring inflation down right. –
2: Wage growth can come down without the economy <laughs> – w- uh, without, without having a recession. You break inflation
0: right. – you slow wage growth comes all the way down. Unemployment doesn't pick up. That and that's a, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's a soft landing. Uh,
2: and and what is this chart showing though? Do you know how to read this? Do I
1: know how U.S. To read
2: wages this? Phillips curve? Forget about this. It doesn't okay. matter. Just it up Well, It's the well,
1: Phillips yeah. curve. It's unemployment versus wages. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, but it, it does it's look like broken it's broken trending forever. backward. or oh, it doesn't matter. It's
1: uh, coming back. It's all right. Now back. Back. the other
2: the uh, other
0: the other thing is. Well, if you look at tech stocks, and I'm not just talking about T-Doc and DocuSign, look at what Apple is saying. Like, everyone is saying the same thing. And what they're saying is not painting a very rosy picture. So, I also, on the one hand, I could look at Caterpillar and say, well, listen, you don't get a recession when industrial stocks are ripping like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Apple is this. Apple's the king. Apple is the stock that matters most. So, when they're saying that things are slowing on their end, what do we make of this?
1: So... Well, first of all, this is tech, right? Tech has been one of the hardest hit sectors from all of these crosswinds that we've had to deal with. The international problems. China. China, yeah. the Dollar. Yeah, the dollar. Supply chain. International problems wasn't the best phrase, but that's like all encompassing that right there. I mean, high growth, their stock got hammered. Not as much as the more speculative stocks. Um, But it makes sense that Apple is a little more, you know, kind of feeling this. I guess is my point. And I think that there's something interesting going on with big tech right now where like in a high rate environment, you just don't value innovation as much because you're thinking about what's working now versus what's going to work down the road. And big tech is in this kind of pivot point where they're seeing their lunch kind of get eaten by, you know, more upstart competitors and they're trying to pivot and investors just aren't allowing it. Is this
0: the perfect storm of just saturation, just Apple just was going to slow eventually, and it happens to be coinciding at a time when growth is out of favor. Is that just too coincidental?
1: It might be. Co- it might be coincidental, and I I don't know. I don't know how you would really gauge that. But I do think it's really interesting that big tech is kind of having this identity crisis because you're seeing it with other stocks too. You're seeing it with Microsoft and OpenAI or GTP. I, I can't remember which one they. OpenAI is a parent company. <laughs> OpenAI. Okay. Um, you're seeing it with Facebook and the metaverse. Um, you're seeing it with Apple and trying to get more into software and services. Uh, it's almost like, you know, we're 10 years into it. Big tech is like, okay, well, what's the next phase of our lives? I don't think they look
2: invincible anymore is the the point you're making. And
0: AWS just, uh, posted its slowest growth rate since it started since 2014. We got
2: Apple, we got Apple app store data yesterday on Tuesday. Apple said it paid 320 billion to developers up from 260 billion as of last year. Um, Developers get 70 to 85% of gross sales. So that's Apple paying out. If all developers paid Apple, paid a 30% cut to Apple, Apple's App Store grossed more than 85 billion in 2022. If Apple's commissions were all 15%, the App Store's estimated gross would come in lower around 70 billion. That's the same amount of sales Apple suggested with the same data point last year, when the company said it paid developers sixty billion, so what they're saying is this represents a plateauing of activity on the Apple App Store, which arguably is like the largest technology platform. Or no, it is. It's got to yeah, be right. Yeah. yeah,
0: and then also they're they're repli- I think they're trying to replace Broadcom. They're like building that internally, that chip, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, they're pivoting to a, a different phase of their.
2: But then people, then people are like, oh, Apple subscription business is slowing. <laughs> they They just had another record year. They went from 745 million subscribers in 21- to nine hundred million subscriptions in twenty two. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's massive. relative to
0: what? Well, I guess relative to yeah. relative to the fact that the market it's cap a billion subscriptions. I guess relative to the market cap of two trillion dollars and relative to the fact that all of this growth has already been priced into the stock.
1: Yeah. And then there's there's obviously other tech specific industry dynamics that I don't understand. Like I'm sure if you had somebody else on here to explain it they would give you a much more like detailed explanation and really dig into all these tech trends going on. But that's the big thing to me, the innovators dilemma in big tech. That's really it's it's I mean, I'm an analyst. I look at the pros and cons of everything, but it it's like interesting, but at the same time it's worrying.
2: There's holes it's in e- There's holes in every one of these stories right now for the reasons that you laid out. Like every, mm-hmm. for every one of the the fan mag stocks Like there's a serious hole. And it doesn't mean worst case scenario will definitely happen. Let me ask you this.
0: So so the advertising slowdown. How much of that is consumer demand versus the fact that these companies were all funded with unlimited money and that's over now?
1: Well, I think high rates definitely have something to do with it.
2: Oh, for sure.
0: And so I think that's the first thing you cut. So I think that you I think that you could make the case that tech is in a recession. I mean, of course it is, and that it will continue, and it doesn't necessarily tell you about the economy, what you think it might.
1: Exactly, right. Which is,
4: you
2: have right now rolling recessions that are sector stories. You have recession in uh, office property. You have recession in residential real estate. You have recession in tech media, telecom. You have recession in crypto, LOL. Uh, these are real. The people working in these industries, they don't give a shit what GDP says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are living in recessionary conditions, mm-hmm. period, right now. I was at an Islander game uh, two nights ago with two of, two of my friends, and one of them is advertising, and the other one does real estate law. And it's a recession. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it, period. Like, uh, for an economy like ours that's this dynamic and this, uh, this much dispersion throughout the economy, we should just not be focused on is the whole economy in recession yet? Let's be realistic. If you do certain things or live in certain regions of the country, you could absolutely have different economic situation than someone else. You know who's from elsewhere. Yeah, so. and it's
1: a blessing and a curse. Like obviously, you don't want to see certain sectors pull back. You don't want to. I, I mean, you want people to thrive. Yeah, I, end game. That's I where we start. Uh, okay, maybe you don't. No, I'm, just
2: kidding. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. So,
0: so this is fun. Bed and bath was up fifty percent today. Carvana was up forty six percent. Are we going to get a? Are we going to get another meme, meme explosion?
2: No, because those won't revisit the old highs.
1: Okay, unpopular opinion. I'm just opinion. saying,
0: I'm just saying, that was today. That was a 50% move in, in, what did I say, bed and bath and a 46% move in Carvana today.
2: I'm only buying the debt of those companies.
0: What did, Game did unpopular GameStop do today? GameStop was up uh, 9%. Am, Go ahead.
1: I am not a meme stock investor, but I think the concept of meme stocks is not dead. The concept of investing with community. The concept of you know watching. I, if it if it boils down to it, it's basically investors watching each other and thinking. Is, hey, there, this a I agree. is I agree. there a silver
2: so, lining? Even though everyone lost all the money that they made in in the big three or the big five meme stocks, is there like a, a positive takeaway from that experience?
1: Yeah, people were investing. Maybe they got burned, but they were investing. They were even
2: though they were buying things for the wrong reasons, or the friends they made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Friends they made
1: along. Well, how about this? I try
2: to think like about the silver lining of that is all right. Their first experience wasn't great. But they're probably not gonna do it again. But then you're saying like they will. It's
0: not. Maybe black, they will. This is not black or white. Yeah. Right? Like there is there's some good in it, some bad in it. I see, I see both sides. And I don't think that like, I don't think it's like a cop out. I really do.
1: Yeah, and we're still seeing really high retail investor engagement. So I have reason to think that, yeah, there was a silver lining there. Did they
2: all become short sellers last year? All, <laughs> did all the meme stock babies of 2021 become like um Little mini uh, short sellers in twenty two. Do you see like any any activity like that?
1: Uh, you know we don't ask about shorting. Um, now
2: they bought the inverse arc though, right? Didn't that thing raise a ton of money? S arc. Oh, uh, are you thinking
1: yeah. like TQQQ? No, well, S-Arc. that's not S arc. Oh, S arc. Well, TQQQ was a highly traded. Uh, yeah, yeah, Highly traded vehicle. So robot.
2: for that yeah. younger crowd, they're like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. That works now. I'll do that. I guess that's kind of like what most people do when they come into the market in their first few years.
1: Yeah, but I, I also think that's kind of overgeneralizing over-generali- it of because course. a most lot of retail investors that. are long-term investors. They're yeah, like, yeah. look, I just want to like make a nice nest egg and go away.
2: Can we talk about timeframes? Let's so, talk about
1: timeframes. All right.
2: So um, you talked about how the short-term outlook is challenging, but the long-term outlook is bright. Tell us why you feel that way. I I agree with you generally, but I, I'd love to just hear your take on on this stuff.
1: Yeah, so this is the really fun part about being a retail investor strategist. Um, there are many, many fun parts, but 2022 was awful, but the silver lining was, you know, the Fed is getting inflation down and nothing lasts forever. That sounds very, very heady. Yeah. but
2: no, all things must pass.
1: Exactly. And yeah. the, and the biggest thing that I tried to get our customers to realize is if you're a long-term investor, this is an opportunity right here. And everything around you is so bearish because the short-term outlook is that challenging. I mean, it's funny, like, looking at sentiment indicators for Wall Street versus retail. I guess they were both bearish, but it seems like there were so many talking heads stepping out there and saying, like, this is the worst. Things are ending. I mean, you mentioned Jamie Dimon. And then it's like, no, if you're a long-term investor, the world is changing underneath your feet. Those are new trends. I mean, society is resilient. Humans can get through this. I know it's painful right now, but nothing lasts forever. Sure. And- I mean, the best thing is the Fed is trying to get inflation down. And that is an incredibly bullish storyline if you want to look at long-term trends. Because they're basically saying we want, well, A, we want to, you know, get inflation under under control, but we also want to flip this lever eventually back from you know conservatism or where we are back to innovation. So if you have the patience, if you have the risk tolerance to wait this out and invest like you normally do, then you know, you can make it to the other side and things will be better.
2: So you're citing clean energy, deglobalization. Robotics, AI, and then millennials coming into their economic power as uh, four of the biggest. not There's not really catalysts. These are just like bigger secular trends.
1: Like themes. Yeah. This is how the world is changing. I mean,
0: millennials coming into their earnings peak like is, well, how is, is old, super old, bullish. The
2: oldest millennial now is like 42 or 44, depending well, on what, what your right. starting date is. Yeah. So, yeah, the world is now theirs. Um, my, my crew is going to pack it up and shuffle off. <laughs> This mortal coil soon enough.
1: I mean, yeah, but, we own the world now.
2: That's good though. It's 73 million of you. And uh, you guys are super uptight about a lot of things. But <laughs> overall, probably the most capable generation we've ever seen in a lot of respects. And I think ambitious. And there's like a lot of positive qualities about the new you know, world. I don't like
0: millennials being spoken about as show. I've been i for I've been bald, I've been bald for 15
2: they're years. Not, no, they're not children. <laughs> <laughs> but there no, but there are things about the millennial demographic that I think lead to a very positive setup for America. Very positive.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we're all in, not all of us, but many of us are in our prime household formation years, which I think is a really good storyline for a that you know housing the housing market. You know
2: what the biggest difference between millennials and boomers? Because I'm in the middle. I'm like a the last. Gen X. I'm the last Gen X. Okay. I'm like the last year of Gen X, um, I identify more with millennials, obviously. Even like the older Gen X people, I these are people that like drop Caddyshack references. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm more like a millennial. I'm actually more like a, a Gen Z these days. because no,
0: they're is like talking heads. Yeah,
2: they're think, right. Yeah. No, Barry, Barry is a loves, true Xer. <laughs> Barry loves talking Barry heads. Barry loves anything like- Sealy Dad. CBGBs was like what the a hell big is cultural that? touch point for his generation. It's like the club in downtown Manhattan where like the Ramones and television used to play and Blondie. It's like New Wave and Punk. And then, like they, the, his generation thinks like Stripes mm-hmm. is the height of comedy. Phil Collins. Stripes is not good. <laughs> no, dude, none of it's good. So all here's right.
1: the question: What do you think Wait, about what was 2000s? We were talking about demographic. Oh, uh, millennials. Oh, so the big difference.
2: My experience between millennials and boomers. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I teach this to advisors actually who are trying to most advisors like 10 years ago all their clients were boomers, mm-hmm. and now they have to talk to their own generation, and it's like they don't know how. Yeah. Um. The big difference is boomers, you could like say something and if you were like really persuasive enough in the way you said it, they would just believe you. Like you could, like you could walk up to like three guys in a bar and just be like, Babe Ruth had a third nipple. <laughs> and they'd be like, no, he didn't. No, he did. No, he did. Of course he did. He absolutely did. They'd be like, oh, all right. Right. Uh-huh. If, you, if you do that shit with millennials- they will look it up in front of you. They yep. will they will pull their phone out and fact check you in the moment over anything.
1: We have no shame. We're you like, could say show me the receipts. You could say,
2: like you could literally say, Oh, I got drenched, it's raining out there, and a millennial will whip their phone out and be like, It wasn't raining. And they will like they will do that shit. The implications for Wall Street and for people in our profession is. You can't, you have to know what you're saying to people. Mm -hmm. And if you're making a claim, you have to have evidence. Like if you say to somebody, this is a great time to buy international value stocks, which I think we were all talking about that before. Mm -hmm. Why? Like for, I think for a boomer audience, like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's not like that anymore. And that to me, generationally, I can see where you might think that's a pain in the ass. Talk to people that fact check you in real time, but I think it makes you better at what you do. Especially working on Wall Street and trying to deal with millennial investors.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this. So, we all know millennials and younger The thing with Babe
2: are... Ruth, not true, <laughs> by the way. I don't want to put that out there.
1: Oh, I was supposed to whip out my phone and look it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, what would happen if you
2: Googled that? Possibly true. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just give anywhere, you like an outside thing that you could, have. you could convince people of. Yeah, no, he might have.
3: Yeah. yeah. Go on, go I think Kylie. it's yeah. Magic School Bus and Reading Rainbow that made us. I so love Magic School Bus. What was her name? What is.
2: Oh,
1: Miss Frizz- Frizzle? Miss Frizzle?
2: Oh, she was yeah. great. Wait, Reading Rainbow was my generation. Oh, was yeah, Wait, was my generation. What was no, where we the were magic, magic school. We still That's for the yeah. guy from Star Trek. And SpongeBob. Next SpongeBob generation, right? Birthday. I was too old for SpongeBob. Oh, okay. Okay. What were you saying?
1: Okay, so financial, something I've thought about was- How big about of was- a
2: tangent did I just take the show on? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have no
1: idea where- okay. Oh, we started talking about millennials. Yeah,
2: you, so you guys are like awesome millennials, the, the two of you. So oh, I, would, oh, I would just you. say that. Duncan's an okay millennial.
1: Oh. Um, okay, so my question about financial advising when it comes to millennials and younger investors, I feel like you're going to have a lot of clients roll in with some, like, really alternative investments. I mean, maybe they held on to their meme stocks. Maybe they have crypto. You know, maybe maybe there's, like, some endowment effect going on where it's like, okay, well, I really like the stock because I like the product. I'm wondering how financial advisors, how well-equipped they are to deal with younger investors coming in and basically saying, "Well, I have this What do you think? Like are we I don't I don't think I don't think, I, I, don't think I
0: don't think a lot of those people no? need financial advisors. Okay. Um, I think you need financial advice when the either complexity gets to be that you need outside help like you have legitimate questions and or It's an amount of money that you're not comfortable managing. And I feel like for most people that are under 30, they don't necessarily need that. But do
1: you think they'll get there? Oh, I I know they will.
0: Of course they'll positive. positive. So what if they get
1: there there and they're like, well, I have, I have, they're they're
2: not not going to. Well, that's when we teach them about tax loss, uh, uh, (laughs) write-offs. Listen, when, when you, when, when you look for a financial advisor, it's not because your birthday came up and, and you're 40 and it's like, oh, I'm 40. I need an advisor. It's always a life catalyst.
4: Mm-hmm. I'm
2: starting a family, inheritance. My dad died yeah. and left me money. I'm making a career change. I got fired, I got hired. I'm selling a business. Like mm-hmm. it's always so, so that could happen to people at 20, at 30, at 40. So to Mike's point, it's it's complexity and a, a sense of higher responsibility, usually because mm-hmm. a dollar amount has gone up. Yeah, That's the thing that drives somebody saying I need financial advice. So for that won't apply, unfortunately, that won't apply to everyone in every generation. Yeah. It's always going to be a subset of people that really need help. But but how about this? The bigger point about what do you do with people that want to do what you're talking about? Well,
0: do it. There's nothing wrong with, with eating your vegetables and also drinking a milkshake. Like you could do yeah. both things.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I do that. I just, I wonder if advisors are, and you say that it's not going to be a big issue and I totally believe you there, but like. I mean, millennials and younger investors, they just feel like a different breed.
2: Every generation. They do now. They do now. They'll grow up. You know what happens? <laughs> no, not you know I mean, what not happens? I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean, they will get older. Right,
1: right, right. You, they, get, yeah.
2: you get engaged. You get married. You don't have time need, for this nonsense. You need somewhere to live. Once you need somewhere to live, that means you have to take out debt. Once you take out debt, the pressure of, of your career amplifies. It crowds out a lot of the other bullshit that made you feel special and unique. Then you have kids; mm-hmm. it it gets even harder, and all these things are good things, by the way. It gets even harder. You're not like you don't have time to mean, focus on even better, on even better meme stocks. Life even gets better. better. Life, Life gets, gets better. even better, yeah. but, uh, they but they tell
1: me, I don't yeah. know. But
2: <laughs> you 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 don't have the time for frivolity with your finances,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so every generation turns into their parents. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. And I've said get, this before. I'm eating I'm eating cottage cheese with pineapples in it. I mean, I am my dad.
1: I started eating yeah. cottage cheese for breakfast too. Yeah, there oh, we go. No. I mean, you're you're an old welcome. Oh, no. welcome. I put Here's cottage cheese
2: on my McGriddle <laughs> every morning. That's my that's my go-to. Um, uh, did you have fun today?
1: I had so much fun. Okay, oh Kyle, this is great. I Kyle, so we're so happy that stuff. you came. You'll come back? Yes, I'll come back.
2: Okay. Yes, you know, dozens absolutely. of people are going to listen to this, right?
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. I mean, I'm going to send it to all my friends. All right. Right.
2: We could have got from, we could have got for another hour. Yeah,
0: this is a lot we didn't get to.
2: For sure um we're so happy to have you so we do this thing to end every show which i'm sure you know called favorites mm-hmm. and you're gonna go first yeah and what do you think uh the compound and friends listeners and viewers should be paying attention to reading watching what do you got hit us
1: okay so reading i've got a really good one um and shout out Lule Demise, she told me to read this book the seven habits of highly successful people amazing book. And That's I know, been around for a while. Right? I know it's yeah, one of the I, sure. books. I read No, for a reason. Very good. Reason. Very good. It talks so about. Stephen
0: Covey? I, oh, it I
1: think it is Stephen Covey. Okay. Yeah. Why do you like it? So I'm only, I'm only one of the seven habits in, I'll be, I'll be honest, but it's all about, how to be an effective person. Procrastination How to be an effective number person one. To which, which
2: habit are you up to? Cottage cheese.
1: Perception. <laughs> okay. Cottage cheese was cottage cheese was the intro. <laughs> okay. Right, it was it. like eat cottage cheese. All right, All let's right. get into the real stuff. Okay. Uh yeah, so I'm in I'm in more of the perception and understanding that people have different perceptions and you know if somebody is acting the way they are, it's probably something going on with them. That's a really crude way of explaining it. I should probably read more, but. It's it's all around perceptions and understanding why people make the decisions they do. Um, and I really like heady books. I'm weird like that. I, I do heady stuff at my job and then get off and you know read heady stuff. Um, but Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, really, really good. Uh, I don't have really good streaming recommendations. I mean, I'm watching the Harry slow and Meghan. Slow right th- now.
2: It's slow right
0: now. It's a little yeah. slow, yeah. yeah.
1: Everybody says white You can't get enough good. of this
2: Harry and Meghan thing.
1: I love <laughs> Tell me why. the monarchy, man. I have I,
2: no, I have no opinion because I'm not paying any attention to it. What, what is it that's attracting your attention to this thing?
1: I think it's something about how society has accepted this thing. And I'm talking about the monarchy here. Um, but you can apply this to a bunch of different things. Society has accepted this one thing, and it turns out that it was all just—, it was all Ma- just Made up. Well, made up, but it had, ch- like, chinks all over the armor, basically.
2: Society seems to be rebelling against this at an accelerating rate. Like the monarchy Uh has been falling apart slowly for a thousand years since the Magna Carta. I thought they
0: loved the royal family.
2: But no, but I I feel like a deal with Spotify for a podcast and a Netflix show have accelerated something that like the English Enlightenment, Mm -hmm. um, like like it it took hundreds of years and then like six months. Yeah. That's to me, like from the outside looking in, that's how quickly it feels as though this whole— monarchy concept is like crumbling. Like it, it feels like it's happening really fast.
1: Exactly. And that's happening all like around Meghan Markle too. brought
2: down the British royal family. Yeah, she effectively. did. Effectively. Yeah. And you're down with that shit. All right, I'm down. Uh, I Listen, mean, I
1: didn't say I was down with it. I just like watching it. it happen. No, but you gave, me
2: a, <laughs> you gave me a little bit of damn right she is.
1: All right. <laughs> all right. All I right. don't hate
2: it. All right, what else?
1: I mean, UNC basketball, go heels. I had to do a go, I had did to you throw out the targets. Did you go to UNC? Is that, is that a, like, trick question? No.
2: Oh, my um, God, yeah. The, you, the listeners don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm
1: sorry. Yes, I went to UNC. I uh, grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. Huge, huge Tar Heel fan.
2: Duncan. Duncan's from you, North Carolina. You should mention the, the, Hey, you're from North Carolina. Do you know Duncan?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you should talk a little bit about the UNC team that's uh, just off a 13-win streak, UNC Wilmington. My alma mater.
1: Just oh, saw. no kidding. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that shit. Well, so right. UNC Wilmington's coach, well, up until a few years ago, was actually one of our assistant coaches. And the name escapes me, but. Yeah, we, UNC System. There you go. Right. I
2: visited uh, Chapel Hill once. What yeah. a beautiful place.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's just – it has my heart, but I'm biased. I grew up in North Carolina watching a lot of UNC basketball. We were number one. Preseason, not so great now, but that tends to be our our projection every year. Um, and the Tim Ferriss, Mark Manson podcast. Who's Mark episode. Manson? Mark Manson is the author of uh, The Subtle Art of Giving, Not Giving a – Uh-uh.
2: Uh, Never read that. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Have, I haven't read it either, but – And I listen to Tim Ferriss from time to time, but I listened to this episode a week ago and it's all about just basically how Mark Manson became a blogger. And he just delves into like his creative process a lot, like how he how he started writing the book. And I just love breaking the fourth wall and hearing how other, you know, more creative writer minded people do it, because that's that's who I am. I went to J school. I would consider myself a sensitive writer when it comes down to it. I'm a numbers person, but that's truly who I am. So hearing hearing somebody else's perspective on how to be creative, how to write uh, is just really – I don't know. It's just really interesting to me. I'll
2: definitely check that out because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the same thing. So What's, yeah. what's J it's school? Good.
1: Journalism school. Journalism uh, school. Good question. Oh,
2: who is the journalism professor at uh, UNC? Chris uh, –
1: Chris Roush. So I visited Chris visited is class. the reason why I'm here.
2: Uh were you there when I visited? You're, no, you're older than that. Wait, how's the reason that you're here? We invited well, I invited you, not Chris Roush.
1: Well, okay, that's true. Chris Thanks Roush
2: inspired me. you to uh look at finance.
1: Chris Roush is the reason why I took a business journalism class. Okay. And Very I started cool. off as a reporter and then I turned into an analyst. Wow. Wouldn't have go. happened without You know her.
2: who else? Julia Laroche? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh a
2: whole bunch of people that I know came out of Chris's class. Yeah. And he had talking biz
1: Talking Biz News.
2: Talking Biz News, where he chronicled which financial journalists were going, like, from CNBC to Wall Street Journal. Like, he did that for a long time.
1: Yeah, it's like you switch jobs, and, like, Chris has already written about it. You're like, I haven't even announced it. How'd you do it? Yeah, so Chris
2: invited me down to lecture his uh, J School class on Mm -hmm. how the stock market gets covered and blogging, which is something that I was uniquely It's probably 10 years ago. Um, But I I, I remember that. It was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, so shout yeah. out to
2: Chris. Is Chris like, you think he's listening to this? Is he still I'll l- tell
1: him to listen to it. He's him- him- at Quinnipiac now, actually.
2: Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell he's him- the
1: dean of tell the him to listen to this Closer.
2: episode. Uh Michael, you have a favorite for us this week? Uh yeah, I got a few. Okay, go. I was re-watching
0: Hall Pass. It was on HBO.
2: I don't know. What is that? Really? Ellen yeah. Wilson, Jason Sudeikis. I don't think I saw it. I know what it is. I don't think I saw it. It's very funny. Okay. All right. Um
0: What else? What did I say this week? Oh, I went, I saw uh, I saw a horror movie in the movie theater called Megan. You know about this? I was gonna go. Was oh, it? Was it good? It was Be- incredible. It was really? so much fun. No, it's a doll. It's like another Chucky. It's it's oh. so it's so much fun. It's like it's way. I that mean, I, I like Chucky, but this is this is way better. Were people in
2: the theater like jumping? Out it of their was. Seats? It was
0: me and four tweens. That's it. The whole theater. <laughs> that, that's it. Um, it was scary. Did you sit it was right f- next to them. Yeah. In it was MC funny. Head. Allison Williams was great. It was all it was just mm-hmm. and it was 90 minutes. I was I was home before Robin even knew I was gone.
1: Oh my gosh. I have such a rant about how long movies have become. I'm like, if you can't do it in 90 minutes, why make
0: it two. So Babylon's yeah. like okay, three, three hours, hours plus. Sure. I wanna see if I no, watching it. No, make it two that. movies. Yeah. Like like why why uh, why does there need it need to be? So here's the great thing yeah. about movies these days. Uh Megan will be on you can watch it at home in, in 30 days. Right. You know
2: what I mean? Like Yeah. The minute it leaves the theater, which it does after a week because everything's a flop. So
0: I, I, saw, I, I saw somebody tweet about it or something and I thought it was kind of a joke. And then I looked, went on Tomatoes and it got like great reviews from the critics. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Well, did you like Annabelle? Uh, I love all those movies. The Conjuring movies. I love, I love I, so, all same
2: love. Okay. So this
0: is, not, this is like not like that, but sure. Same
2: thing, I guess. Um, that movie Babylon flopped.
0: Uh, Babylon flopped. I still mm-hmm. want to see it, but I'm not doing it in the theater. No way. Who's in that? Uh, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. Ed Norton. Ed All.
2: Right? Is everyone ordering that? I think I think it's I'm a really disappointed. i nobody fi- went.
0: I was very disappointed with Glass Onion. Like sure, I had fun. Whatever, whatever. It was just such a disappointment. You I, such yeah. like, I such like, missed. I, I haven't
1: seen it, but I okay. did recently watch the first movie. That's escaping my mind. It's um, what's the name? The first of it? Knives Out. Knives Out. Knives Out. Yes. How right. much, yeah. Holly,
0: that was that was awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, I it thought awesome. it was really good. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, sequels are never as good as the original, yeah. right? Yeah. So I I'm just, a little worried I thought, I thought about this, watching someone, Glass Onion for that I thought
0: reason. this was different. It just it wasn't, it wasn't very good.
2: No. You listen to music?
1: Do I listen to music? Yes. Yeah. Talking,
2: <laughs> talking Heads?
1: Uh, I like the Talking Heads. I went through a Talking Heads phase during COVID.
2: Okay. Oh. You ever listen to, you ever see on the Apple Music app, they're like putting out things in Spatial Audio now? No, because I use Spotify. I don't know what it means. Can you explain it, Duncan? What is Spatial Audio?
3: I, I actually don't know that much about it, but it's kind of it surrounds. It's supposed to be immersive. And- it's immersive.
2: Like your headphones. No, yeah, like you have AirPods in, right? Yeah. And the music is coming to you from one direction. I love it. If you turn your head, it like is still coming to you from that same direction, as though you're in the room. Does that make sense? How could you be oh, bearish? Wow. How could yeah, you be you know, bearish? It's, it's kind of like using technology the, the accelerometer
3: mm-hmm. in the in the right. AirPods. So it
2: makes so you're moving around physically with the AirPods in your ear but it's making it as though you're in the space that the music is being played. Anyway. I love that. So I started clicking Crazy. on, they're like putting out old music mm-hmm. remastered in this, or maybe not remastered, but reformatted in this spatial audio. Yeah. And I can't believe how cool, and I don't listen on AirPods. Like I have like real headphones. I'm like a audiophile. Um, they just, like last week I saw the concert for George Harrison, they put it out. This was, George Harrison died in like 2002. Mm-hmm. They put, filled Royal Albert Hall with all his friends and everyone came out and played his songs, like Clapton and just everybody. Yeah. So they put that out in spatial audio and you put it on your ears or you're driving and it's in your car and you just like really feel like you're in at this event. Yeah. So my recommendation this week, find something live event or otherwise on Apple's uh, music site in spatial audio and- spatial audio its it. own category? No, but they'll just like say new in Spatial uh, Audio.
3: Like where it would say Dolby or something It'll uh, say Spatial. Yeah. So,
2: right. So they're like just dropping, they're just dropping old stuff that you probably either never saw or whatever, but in the new format. And it, I, maybe I'm tricking myself into thinking that I notice, but I feel like it's really yeah, better. It, it's very cool. You know what I'm, y- yeah. you've checked it out?
3: What's your favorite George song?
2: I just dropped the reference to All Things Must Pass while we were recording the show. Yeah, maybe accidentally, maybe not. Uh, here comes the sun. He wrote that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that the album All Things Must Pass, start to finish, is like on a par with any Beatles album. Like truthfully, it's like maybe not as well known, but I think like if you say what's his best work, Did they do Why my guitar Junt the weeps? Yep. Yeah, and Clapton played Tax, on that. Yeah. Uh, Revolver's th-
0: the best. That's a good one.
2: Uh, yeah. I like What Is Life. Well, listen, check this concert for George. Again, it was taped in 2002, but Ringo's on it, Paul McCartney Wait. comes out on stage, Monty Python comes out, and Wait, Monty Python's a person? No, it's a comedy troupe, but oh. they were friends with George Harrison. Oh, okay. So all of his friends come out and play tri- pay tribute to him and now it's in spatial audio it's worth listening all right we're gonna wrap up this was callie, so much fun callie. thank you oh my gosh amazing. thank, thank you, you thank you
1: for having me mutual admiration society over right. here it and, was so much fun. and
2: uh we're gonna have you come back next week be busy <laughs>
1: uh,
2: i'll fly back up sure. all right everybody follow callie where do we follow your stuff tell tell the audience where they can read more of you i know you're a tweeter i am a your tweeter. twitter handle
1: callie a boss b-o-s-t follow me on twitter i post on linkedin uh, thanks Elon alright uh, <laughs> and IG hopefully one day
2: and shout and out eToro
1: shout out eToro eToro if, has a blog if
2: people become a client can they just start sending you emails
1: <laughs> if you want if, if you, right. you want it's probably easier to get me on Twitter but
2: Callie you are a treasure thank you so oh, much for coming you. on we had the best time we would love to have you back someday I'm good And uh, alright awesome you did a great job Duncan great job this week John knocked it out of the park shout out Nicole shout out Compound Nation we will be back with an all-new episode next week. Have a great weekend. was so fun. All right, That was the warm-up. They
1: have disclosures at the meetings.
2: That was a warm-up? Yeah. You ready to really do it? Yeah, do I want to give you a feel for the show. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so
1: much fun.